This Week in Sparkling Water, episode 90. Like always, the weight of every previous episode, 89 previous episodes, resting on my shoulders, weighing me down. Heavy. Almost can't do this. I have a, I have this song playing in my head. Uh, <laughs> there's like Bo Burnham's comedy special, um inside that we all know and love incredibly important covid era pandemic era piece of art he a couple of days ago or whatever he released something he called the inside outtakes which is just the 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 stuff that didn't make it into the video and there's this one song it's only a 50 second snippet it's not a finished song (laughs) he just goes they're really going to make me vote for Joe Biden. And then there's like this. <laughs> and then there's this like really good techno beat. <laughs> like just dun, 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 like a really fresh techno beat that I would really spend six minutes of my life listening to. And he just repeats Joe Biden. And it's like, oh, damn, Bo, you did it again, bro. Can't believe his name is Bo. How is the best case scenario, Joe Biden? And then you also understand how he didn't release it because you can't release a thing like that. As much as you hate Joe Biden, putting out any piece of media that's anti-Joe Biden after it's after the primaries is an act of giving power to evil, you know? It's a little peculiarity of the two-party system. Um... I've been thinking about how his name is Bo, and it's like, I think this is a peculiarity of being um, not growing up in America. It's like, there are all these famous people that you know of because you consume hella American uh, media, but you don't know anyone with those names. So you your brain much more thinks of people in terms of the entire set phrase of their first and last name together, like Tom Hanks. Like, I don't know any fucking Toms growing up in Sweden. So to me, I don't know, this might be the, this might be the most boring thing I've ever said, but I'm just going to go with it. It's like, it's, it's really hard for me to remember, to imagine. It seems really alien to imagine that some, that guy's name is Tom because to me, it's just, there's just this one big set phrase of sounds. It's like six phonics or whatever. Every every name is like the entire name of the person. Bo Burnham. Winona Ryder. Like, what the fuck is a Winona? You know, her name is Winona Ryder, and, and you can't just break that up into anything. Cindy Lauper. You know, every 90s celebrity, it's just, it's an entire... Anyway, um, yeah, I haven't had any water today, so we should probably review water. So today we're doing lemon. Now, here's the thing. I've done 90, this is episode 90, and somehow I have never reviewed LaCroix lemon. I had to Google it. I I, um, go on my own website and search through my own blog posts to see if I've reviewed something before, because there's no way to remember. But... I haven't reviewed this one. LaCroix Lemon. Oh, that smells so good. Yeah, that's a 10 out of 10. 
It's so fucking good and it tastes exactly like Romlasa Citroen. Oh, that's good. Also, spoiler alert, I've had about six of these in the last 24 hours. Because I bought a 12-pack to review them. Accidentally drank six of them real quick. A little bit of hydration in my system. That's good. They're really going to make me vote for Joe Biden. Um, so this week, I'm going to try to talk about this, and it's going to be really unformed and unintelligent and shallow and shitty, but I'm going to try anyway. This week, or like a week ago or something, there was a Reddit thread. We're going to start this from the beginning. There was a Reddit thread where someone was like, talk about some weird cultural curiosities that... I was like, have I used the word curiosity three times already in this episode? But no, no, no. The word I accidentally used twice was peculiarity. We're good. Um, What's some weird cultural curiosities that you've noticed from other cultures that you encountered or whatever and then someone's like yeah i went to sweden and and i was playing with my buddy and they had dinner and they like didn't invite me and then the person does this hilarious thing that (laughs) that people do on podcasts where they're like and i think about that every day and it's 25 years ago which is just a funny true concept of how the memories that just float through our brains on the daily are so Random. And I love hearing about other people's stuff. The stuff that will float through your brain. I love hearing about it. So there's this. And then people were like, what the hell? And then that thing of in Sweden, when you have kids playing at your house, when you have guests, when you have when you eat dinner, you don't invite the guests. Now, look, first of all, I'm confronted by this early on by Julie Kennedy because Julie Kennedy is a big Twitterer and a big Redditor. I mean, maybe a bigger Twitterer, but so she asks me about this. And first of all, it's so interesting because I have no memory of any of this is my first feeling. I just don't have an answer, which is a very weird feeling because I don't, I I don't have a, I don't, I can't say no, that's not true. And then after sitting with it for like a long time, like days, trying to unpack and trying to like reach back into my memory, I realized that what I'm really dealing with is a, an absence of memories. Like it's impossible. It's hard to remember this stuff because it doesn't have a name. Not feeding people doesn't have a name in Swedish. It's not something you think about or talking, talk. It's not something you're talking about. Um, and memory and language is so connected that just remembering a language-less concept is not something for your conscious mind. It's only something for your unconscious. But so what I got to after days of thinking about it is that I realized that my best friend when I was five years old, Marcus Edholm, he was probably my best friend for a good seven, eight years. You know, five you know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade, like that kind of era, Um, my best friend, I don't have any memories of ever eating with him. That's the truth. And it's not so much that I remember anyone ever saying anything about it. It's just 
What it was is like I remember us sometimes playing outside, but we were nerds. So there was a lot of Nintendo sixty four, and there was a lot of computer gaming. He had a better computer than me, so we would hang out at his house a lot and play computer games. Maybe Warcraft two. Maybe Star Wars Pod Racer. Maybe different Star Wars games. And we'd take turns on the computer, in a way where. I don't. It wasn't awesome. It was a thing where a critical person could have looked at it and been like, "You guys are not even friends. You just like are sharing a computer." And yeah, I don't know. So we're taking turns on this computer, and the computer belongs to him, so he plays a little bit more than me. And then sometimes he would go away and have dinner, I guess. And I wouldn't. And no one said it wasn't a big thing. It wasn't treated as a big thing. It wasn't like a big announcement that there's dinner. It was more like a whispered thing, where he was like, "Hey, would you would you come here?" And then they. Yeah. And so here's so I've been googling this a bunch in the last week and stuff. And um there are all these <laughs> articles now by Swedish people in English trying to explain this in certain ways and there are certain patterns in these explanations. First of all, everyone is trying to make excuses for it and say that, you know, this is just how it is. Secondly, no one is admitting to ever being part of it, which is like, okay, so you sound kind of defensive, bro. And then no one is admitting to any of it ever feeling bad. Here's the thing: I'm gonna be out. I'm gonna be sweet out here and admit that it it I, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good. I was like eight years old. I'm at Marcus Edelm's house. He goes and has he's he has dinner, and then I'm alone on the computer, and I feel like oh, I get to play more computer now. But here's the thing: I was hungry all the time. I was hungry all the time. And then my mom, I was talking to my mom about it, and she was like, "Yeah, he lived so close because he lived like you could see his house from my house, you know, fifty yards, maybe more, maybe a hundred yards, two hundred meters, something like that." Um, so I would just when when it was dinner time, I don't remember. Did my mom call the house? I don't know. At dinner time, my mom said that I would go home to my house and we'd have dinner at my house, and he would go home to his house, and and um, with other friends that lived further away, they would have dinner at our house. But it's a thing where I had two kinds of friends. I had friends where my parents and their parents were friends and communicated, and then I had other friends where. My parents and their parents were awkward with each other, and or didn't communicate, or didn't get along, or just like there was something where for some reason they just didn't talk. Which is interesting because in a way, the friends it's there's a independent like there's a breaking free element to that where like the friends you are friends with where your parents get along there's a thing where there's a convenience there that's like pushing you to be friends so maybe you're not the best friends in the whole universe. 
and I've referred to this many times. I've talked many times on the pod about different friends that like, maybe I didn't feel so intimately close to, and maybe they were just a little bit different from me, and maybe they were a little bit, um, maybe they were a little bit more normal, and maybe they were a little bit more high functioning, and maybe they, maybe there was just a difference there. Where they ended up going, they ended up doing more normal shit of just like going to college to be an engineer or a vet or, you know, something like that, med school, where you just go and you have a, a nice upper middle class life. And then there's me and I didn't do that. And maybe the friends that my mom, like my parents, that my mom would communicate with, maybe those friends are the people that I, that haunt me. I'm, all the friends from my youth that I'm haunted by are friends that I didn't really choose. I just, it, they were always there because my parents and their parents got along. So they were at my house and then we're hanging out. And then now 20 years later, I'm comparing myself to them and they're way more successful than me and I feel shitty. And the thing is that all of those people, all of those friends would have dinner at my house and I would have dinner at their house. But here's, here's another thing. Even in those scenarios, this is something that, because I was talking to Bjorn and Aaron and Sebastian and me. We have a little group on the app Signal. They're my Swedish buddies. It's like, yeah. So I brought this up, even though they're always just talking about the news and I never follow and I don't, I don't know. They're just like way more sort of involved than me in shit. Like... Like, it's four dudes, and we went to college together, and we're trying to just be buds and be real casual and be friends. But really, there's this other thing going on where Sebastian is a diplomat for the foreign ministry, and Bjorn is um, a foreign correspondent for Swedish state television. So when, <laughs> when Bjorn wants, like, to know what's going on in the foreign ministry as a journalist, where he wants, like, a scoop, he will, like, throw out some casual-sounding question to the group of, and be like, try to get me involved and be like, oh, I'm just having a casual conversation, just hoping that Sebastian jumps in. But it's like, really, he's hoping to get a feel for what the mood is on some issue in the foreign ministry. And I'm just there like, I have no idea what's going on. I haven't read the news. I haven't read the Swedish news in about 15 years. So there's just all these names and shit that I have no idea what's going on. And then vice versa, where like, <laughs> Sebastian... Sebastian is trying to understand how the Swedish media will, um, what their take will be on something that might come down, be coming down the pipeline soon. And then Bjorn is just like, gives these like extremely PC readings of things. And I'm just like, they try to get me involved and I'm just this bystander. But so that's the conversation that's always going on some sort of high-level shit that I'm barely privy to. And then I'm out here now this week being like, hey, did you guys have dinner with your friends when you were eight years old? And what Bjorn said that really is true is that sometimes you would have friends, at, you would have dinner at your friend's house. And here's the thing. It was always fucking weird to everyone. It was weird to everyone. It's like you're having dinner at someone else's house. And Swedes are so, like, when you read about this on the internet, like these articles written by 
Swedes and article like there's even an I woke up this morning and I I checked the New York Times. It's like my only news outlet that I read because it's like when you read the New York Times, it seems like maybe we're gonna survive. I, I I need a media diet that that makes me not panic. And the New York Times they will mention that things aren't going well, but they talk about it using this voice that makes me feel like we're gonna be alive tomorrow though. Yes, it was a lot of shootings, but humanity, like, the world goes on. Sorry, I had a little bit of a LaCroix burp there. I would like to apologize. Um, so I wake up this morning and I check the New York Times, and there's a fucking article about this, about Swedengate and how Swedes don't feed the family. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. They try to make it, like, this really theoretical thing about, no, no, Swedes really care about the family unity and privacy and all this stuff. But really, it all comes from a place of fear and terror and social phobia. Like, as a Swede, you're a man, you're a small man with a small heart, and you have a wife, and you really struggle to find a wife that you connect with. And in that wife husband relationship you open up a little bit but you're so afraid that you don't open up a lot and it's this duopoly of two people that try to have this little bit of a household but you're so afraid of the outside world and then you have these kids and with the kids you feel like you can be a little bit open because they fucking came from your bodies and then the idea that you would let someone into that space it's terrifying it's just fear it's just terrifying. And then sometimes it's just so fucking weird not to that you end up having to have some fucking 11-year-old sitting at your dinner table because you made a play date. You, they're, they're play dating. We're talking to their parents. There's some exchange here. The kid is going to have dinner with you. The kid ends up at the dinner and you don't. And it's weird for everyone involved. It's weird for everyone involved. But I do think that there's something universal here because it's so like thinking about this, it's so obvious to compare it to China and like uh, me and Bjorn and Aaron and Sebastian, we um, went to college and studied Chinese together and then we all lived in China for a long time and then we compared this to China and it's it's funny because in none of this, this is not stuff we've ever thought about in terms of Sweden. But it is something that in China you think about all the time because in China it does have a name. Like just, it is the love language of the culture overtly feeding someone. And it's like, I was trying to, I was arguing with Sebastian about this, about which one comes after which, like which state develops out of which state. It's the Swedish state the less sophisticated state and then you from the Swedish state you develop into the Chinese state or vice versa and he he was like no 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 everyone starts out like the Chinese people and then Swedish people just realize that it's fucking annoying because because he had this weird take oh, I'm I'm really like not communicating this very well but he brought up these stories of how when he got married in China He's got this Chinese wife. His whole Swedish family came and visited, and, and she's from the Fujian countryside. And and they he traveled around the Fujian countryside to her extended family with his his sister and his mom and his dad and all this shit. And then the food stuff was incredibly painful because 
<laughs> these fucking Swedes. It's in China. It's so funny to think about. Because these Swedes want privacy and they're fearful. And then these Chinese people are like pushy with food. Pushy, bro. Like you have to eat. It, because it's like I see it as the Chinese worldview here is that we all know that it's a little bit uncomfortable to receive a gift and to receive charity and we feel a little bit weak and um, open to criticism. Like if we eat something that belongs to someone else, a third party could, could make fun of us and be like, what are you poor? And because of that fear of someone pointing at you and saying, what are you poor? The person giving the food has to overdo it and be like, I fucking love that you're here. This is awesome. And you got a big bowl of soup on the table and everyone's got a little bowl of soup. And with the guest, the first thing you do is you grab the bowl of the guest and you pour soup into the bowl of the guest. Like the rudest thing in China ever would be to give yourself food from the family style food in the middle of the table first. What, what you got to do is you got to pick up the serving chopsticks, the bigger chopsticks that are not for putting in anyone's mouth. They're just for serving. You take those and you fill up, you shovel food onto the plate of your guest. And then you're like, please, 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 please eat. And it's like, you cannot eat yourself until your guest has eaten because you have to compensate for how awkward it is to receive charity. And I really feel like that awkwardness is what's inherent. Like that awkwardness is what we all come with straight out of the box. You just, a human comes delivered out of the hoo-ha and, and it comes in a box and you know, unpack the box and human out of the box, awkward. And then you have to work on that. That's like a challenge. And Chinese people rise to that challenge and they're like, please sit, please eat, please drink. Please make yourself at home. Please be comfortable. Please, 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 please. I'm so happy that you're here. And Swedish people see that challenge and they are just, the weight of the world is too much for the Swede. And the Swede cannot do it. And the Swede falls apart. You're really going to make me vote for Joe Biden. The Swede at the end of it all, the Swede is a puddle. The Swede couldn't do it. And what you end up with is you're a Swede. You have a little bit of a wife. You have a little bit of two, three kids. You cook a little bit of a sad Swedish dinner. One of your kids is playing with another kid at the house. You tell your kid to come have dinner. And you don't invite the other nine-year-old to the dinner table and you just leave that other nine-year-old in the other room. They don't see the dinner. They don't see the dinner table, but you don't invite them to dinner and they just sit there in that other room. Like imagine this, the fearful, small heartedness of allowing a nine-year-old to just sit in the other room hungry. I remember being so hungry as a kid. Because I had this one friend, Marcus Edholm, and my parents and his parents didn't communicate a whole lot because his parents were a little bit weird. And then I had this other friend later on called Hobby. And God bless him, you know. 
Same thing, though. That's when I was a little bit older. And I remember being hungry at his house, bro. So hungry all the time. And uh, one of the reactions to this I'm realizing now, looking back on it, is that this is why so often me and my buddy Sebastian and maybe call her by... We had pizza. We had pizza. We went out and had pizza. A pizza was about 50 kronor. It's about $5. It's a thin crust pizza. It's got kebab on it. It's got kebab sauce. All pizza in Sweden comes with pizza salad. We had pizza like multiple times a week. Because it was an easy thing you could go out and do. And it was our rebellion against the whole thing. That our parents could not rise to the challenge of just food, of just basic human like survival. Our parents and our civilization are a civilization unto itself, is what they everyone says about Russia. Russia and China, these are civilizations unto themselves. Sweden is a civilization unto itself, and it has a self-destructive component, and it is the failure to feed itself. Our parents couldn't feed us, so we fucking were like, Jesus, whatever. I guess I'll just go have a pizza. I did not want to go downstairs and have dinner and not bring Sebastian, so we went out and had pizza. Oh, but also, I have all of this that I'm saying is like low veracity. I don't know if it's true because I don't remember any of it. I suppressed the whole thing. There's a lot of comedy to it, though. Like, reading about it on the internet is so fucking funny because there are these people, like, um, making excuses for it on the internet. Everyone's making excuses for it, and no one admits to being part of it in any way. These are two properties of it. <laughs> one of the one lady wrote about it in, in, the, in some UK magazine, like, the... The Sun or the Independent or something, and and uh, she's like, she goes, it was a different time. Everyone did it, and therefore it w- it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's such a such funny language, such tone deaf funny language. Because this is probably not a big deal, but using that language is funny because it's it's like you could apply that language to any injustice in the past and be like, come on, slavery was a thing. Everyone did it. It was a different time, and it's not a big deal. Because everyone did it and it was a different time. <laughs> Slapping your secretary on the booty cheeks. It was like everyone did it. It wasn't a big thing. It was a different time. Everyone did it. It's not a big deal. Yeah, some lady wrote, it wasn't really the big deal that people on Twitter are making it sound like it was. Everyone did it. I will tell you that I didn't like the way it felt. It's interesting to unpack how I felt about it uh, because I didn't... Like, at the time, I remember being at Marcus Edelm's house and not having dinner and being hungry and not taking it personally because it's just, this is the entire world. Like, this is a pre-globalized world where the traits of your reality, like, it's homogenized. It's a it's a one... Reminds me of how Luke would say that in every single episode of the podcast, I was always like, it's not super homogenous. It's like he said that I always said that. But um, 
There was a time pre-internet where it could feel like if you were part of the ma- the majority culture of a place, it could feel like that was the whole world. Whereas now we live in a in a space and time of atomization, where we cannot feel like that anymore, because everyone there are voices, there are these other voices, and there are these other stories showing these other places. But then it felt like the entire world is like this, and this is how the world is, and being hungry a lot is normal. <clears throat> but it didn't feel good, and I'll I'll fucking say that out loud. And then there's some Swedish professor being interviewed by the New York Times, and he goes, this is a quote. I printed this out on a piece of paper. Before advances were made in food storage, Swedish people would have three to four months to harvest a year's worth of food in the cold climate. So spontaneous dinners have never been part of the culture. He said Swedish people also want to respect the independence of the family and offering another person's child a meal could be seen as a critique of the other person's ability to support a family. God damn, that's some bullshit, dude. That's such fucking bullshit. It's like they're playing at your house. The kid is at your house playing and you have a dinner table full of food. But the craziest thing that I'm reading about is the 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 visual where the kid is invited to sit at the table but not eat. Like that's something I have never seen with my own two eyes. I have never seen that. And that's fucking crazy. Like that's so crazy. Because it's one thing to be like this terrified Swede and to not yell out dinner, but to yell out like the name of your kid just so that just your kid shows up. And then you whisper to the kid, it's dinner. We're not going to tell your friend. And then you're like fearful and small hearted and you like quietly have dinner. But it's a different thing to be like, hey, everyone come sit down. Only my family is going to eat, but everyone's going to sit at the table. Like that's... Something I don't know how to conceptualize, and I don't know how to talk about it, and I've never seen it. I've never seen it, and I don't know what to do about it. But, and also, here's my thing too. Cold climate, yes. Like, cold climate and poverty. Like, I, I'm. it's such bullshit to be like, oh, because of the cold climate and the fucking harvesting and the season and spontaneous dinner. Like, what are you talking about, bro? There's famine in hot places, bro. Like, you understand famine? You understand, like, decade-long famines? Like, places? Like, sure, if you have this super narrow view and you think of it as just the only two places in the world are Sweden and Italy, then maybe you can point to that and be like, no, but in Sweden it's cold, so we just have this very set amount of food in our fucking potato cellar. And it's just these root vegetables and we don't, and spontaneous dinners are not a thing. But in Italy, everything is just readily growing all the way around you. And you can just grab extra tomatoes straight off of the vine for a spontaneous dinner. But it's like, bro, you understand that there are like hot, there are like fam, like, like there are places like in northern China in fucking Harbin, it's colder than anywhere in Sweden. And, and, and they have the exact same welcoming culture. Uh, it's funny to me how I, um, like, you know, 20 episodes ago or something, I I um, recorded an episode of the podcast, and I talked about Ice Boy Plumbing a lot, and I called the episode How to Welcome a Guest into Your Home, and, and somehow I didn't address any of this, because I didn't know about it yet. 
because it was all buried. Buried under layers and layers of pain and childhood trauma. It also makes me think back on this other concept of like in Sweden growing up in the 90s. Sweden was and has been, you know, in the last 50 plus years, really good on gender issues, but not good at all on race issues. So like people have this image of Sweden as a super progressive place, which is like so true in terms of gender issues. And Sweden is still on the forefront of this stuff. Inventing new gender technologies better than anyone, you know? Our government is a technology and it's it's good on gender. But so in the 90s, growing up in the 90s, like Sweden was a racist fucking place. And there was um, a lot of shit like um, a convenience store would always be run by a foreigner, like an immigrant. And uh, they would not be from Turkey, but you would just call them the Turks. And in, in, and uh, convenience stores would just be called going to the convenience. Like you'd just be like, I'm going to the Turk. So racist. Racist, not in a suit. Like, I, I do th- feel the need to untangle things that are like harmful and not harmful. But it is harmful to take someone who is a person. And who has like an identity and a past and a, and a like a path of how they came to a place and they carry with them all of their past. And then you erase all of their past. Like they're probably from fucking Lebanon or something, you know, they're probably from fucking Eritrea or Syria or something. And then you just call them Turkish and it's like, them knowing that you call them Turkish is painful to think back on. But so what I was going to say is that there's also this like concept that I remember being told about as a child, like I'm eight years old and Swedish grownups are telling me about how weird Southern Europe is like Italy, because in Southern Europe, and then the way they describe it is like, there's this weird, like exaggerated welcomingness. Where like in Italy, the way it would be described in the 90s in closed as, closed as fucking terrified, fearful, cold, small-hearted Sweden, it would be described like in Italy, you can just be walking down the street and all the windows are open and some guy would just hang out of a window and be like, hey, you want to come in and have dinner with us? Hey, I'm Italian. Hey, you want to come and sit down and have dinner? I never met you. Come in from the street and just sit down and have dinner with me. And that's like the Swedish impression of Italian culture. But thinking back on this stuff with not feeding your guests, you realize that the reality is that what Swedes were really expressing was feeling weirded out that having someone at your house as a guest around dinner time in Italy would probably mean that you would be like, hey, you want to have dinner too? Because we're going to have dinner. And then Swedes are like, whoa. These Italians are weird because we've been hanging out all afternoon and now it's dinner time and he didn't just ask me to leave. And it's like so embarrassing to think about that. How really when my dad told me stories about how fucking ridiculously and exaggeratedly 
welcoming and generous the Italians are. What he was really saying is they're normal and we're not. Devastating. Just absolutely devastating. I don't think it's true that in Italy, if you walk down the street, someone will hang out. Someone will just suddenly appear in a window and yell at you to come inside and have dinner with them. I don't think that that's really what it's like. I think that's an, a cartoon exaggeration invented by the defensive, fearful Swede. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't know. I read this sentence here in the New York Times. So, children, I don't know. They start the sentence with so, comma, which is weird. Um, children sometimes decide that they don't want to eat with their friend's family, but are still invited to the table while the family nibbles at fish fingers with rice. First of all, <laughs> shots fired, terrible dinner. <laughs> like... True, though. White rice, totally unflavored, plain, poorly cooked, really dry, um, overcooked, long grain, sort of like really starchy, really fibrous, like lots of like just the lowest quality, shitty white rice ever. With fish fingers, fish sticks, Fish fingers, this, that's that's the Britishism. Fish fingers is what they call them in the UK. In the US, they're called fish sticks. So that must be from that The Independent article. Yeah, so having fish sticks and white rice, wow, okay, great. First of all, maybe the kid just has higher standards and is refusing to eat that. But like, really, do you think that's true? Like, am I supposed to believe that? I'm supposed to believe that there's some hungry eight-year-old who's like, nah, like, like, okay, backtracking here a little bit. That's the whole point. That's why Chinese people are pushy, because it is awkward to receive charity and to receive gifts. So with the first time we say no, and then the giver of the gift has to be like, no, 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 I insist. That's why we have the word I insist. The eight-year-old who says, nah, I don't want to have dinner with you guys. The eight-year-old is hungry. It's dinner time. You you say, no, 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 no. You go like this. Oh, come on, come on, come on. You should come. Just have dinner. Just have. And just get, just put a plate in front of them. Just give them food. And they will eat. Swedes are like, Swedes are like, <laughs> the eight-year-old says no. And you're like, okay. It's like. You're a Swedish 40-year-old man. Your wife is 35. You have an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old. Your 10-year-old has, a, has a, another friend over. It's dinner time. You ask the friend, the, your kid's friend, hey, you want to have dinner? And the kid goes, no. And then you just accept that answer? And you make four plates of food and you don't make a plate? Plate of food for the 10-year-old? Like, do you understand that that kid is just, you just need, like, it's the most universal trait ever. The trait of being, of the first time saying no. And then you have to ask again. 
It's like that's also baked into Chinese culture, that when someone offers you something, you have to say no, and you have to go through this unavoidable, like on um, Chinese New Year's, um, grandmothers will put a bunch of money in a red envelope and give to their grandkids. And the grandkids have, like young enough kids don't, but like when the kids get to like be 20 years old or something, they have to be like, oh, no, 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 I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And they have to like put up a fight. And then when they've said, no, 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 I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. After when they said no 20 times, then it's like, okay, I'll put it in my pocket. You know? Like the act of saying no. Oh, God. Fucking Swedes, bro. Yeah, I don't know. I also think about it. I was also thinking about it from this other perspective of like ego and being concerned with what people think about us. Because like in the interconnected society of China where you have, you want to save face and you care what people think about you. You want to be known as someone who is a good person who like feeds guests. And there's something like truly lonely and independent and like almost like complete ego death about not giving a fuck, like not feeding (laughs) guests. There's something truly free about that, about not caring at all what people think about you. Like there is zero concern for reputation. In that, you know, you're not even part of a social matrix. You have no interpersonal relationships. You only have, like, your fearful own little heart and your fearful little wife that you share very little with. And these children that you, your your own children that you look at and, and you look them in the eye and you see a stranger. And existential dread crowds out every other human emotion. There's nothing. There's nothing there. And then after a lifetime of not feeding guests, you're like, you, you, you try to make yourself feel better by making fun of the Italians and how fucking exaggerated they are. Oh, yeah, I don't know. It's so fucking funny to read about this on the internet because, like, the New York Times interviewed some um, professor in in food culture or something in at Lund University or whatever, and then there's this little sub clause in one sentence of one thing that he says where he's like, "Well, this practice, which by the way, my family does not practice this custom. It's like everyone is so embarrassed. No one wants to admit to being part of this, you know." <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Let's do another water. Lemon. This episode we're doing lemon, so this here is Waterloo. Lemon lime. Oh, I feel bad. I feel bad, bro. That's actually, wow. The Waterloo's always taste too much. They're not watery enough, but that's actually... I drank it. I was not uh, present for the drinking. My mind wandered completely. I was thinking about something else while drinking it. But yeah, that's a terrible artificial light. 
Yeah, that goes hand in hand with like this shit where it's like, this is lemon lime. Like, um, if you can't figure out how to, how to reproduce a perfect, clean, realistic, good flavor, you just call it a mashup. Like the brands that can't figure out how to flavor something with like something that actually tastes like raspberry. They, the ones that can't figure that out, they just give up halfway and just call it mixed berry. Because how can you really, you know, this just tastes like they gave up halfway and just called it a mix. Yeah, that's terrible. That's a two out of ten. Maybe because I've talked so much about Sweden now, I should just keep talking about Sweden. Here's a different angle. In Sweden, Sweden is smaller and more centralized, so we have this, like, dictionary that's basically published every year by a semi-governmental agency. And so they just decide which words are real words. Whereas in English, there's, like, a couple of competing dictionaries. But in Swedish, there's just, like, the one. And so this semi-official agency decides every year what words to include what words to add and it's a pretty fun way to um i don't know it's interesting there's a big thing of how um a lot of the words are just english words like you know that were a word that appeared 10 years ago and then now they've sort of trickled into swedish so then it's really Easy to be judgy and be like, oh, Sweden is 10 years behind. But really, you look at all of it and it's actually kind of fun. And, and it's it's fun how Sweden is. Because um, you have like weird Japanese words that trickle into it too. So, so it's kind of a nice um, thing that looks in many different directions. But... Um, I was I I recently thought of this because my buddy Sebastian used the word kilisa, which means um, which I had never heard. He used it, and I, from context, I immediately understood what he meant. It means like kile is like is like a word for a boy, a sort of cute word for a boy, and yisa means to guess. <clears throat> so it's like boy guessing, which is like a thing you do with confidence, with undeserved confidence. It's like a very, it's like a sister concept to the concept of manspreading, right? Like manspreading is just something that men do in a very natural way with this like undeserved confidence. And then boy guessing is like, you just, you just talking out, like you're just guessing, but you're pulling these statistics out from nowhere. And it's like this whole thing, you know? And then I Googled it, and that was a word in 2007. And four, four weeks ago, he uses this word in front of me, and I'm like, I never heard it. So I'm five years behind, and that made me feel kind of bad. So then I went back and looked at all the new words every year, 2017 and on. Did I say seven? I meant 2000. Kiliisa was a word in 2017. Um, so here's some good words. For new word in 2016, mens certifiera, certifiera, um, which is that you 
menstruation certification is how I would directly translate it. This is now about to be really full of me directly translating terms in a way that's not how you should translate them, but I'll try. Um, it's like when a, when a workplace is, is certifying that they are really good at um, making people taking uh, precautions for menstruation. It's just a weird word. God. Togskrita, which means like train, it's like train bragging. It's like when you don't commute using a car, you can train brag about how you always take the train. And then this is cool. Like in 2018, we introduced the word hundvisla, which is dog whistle. Wait. What's the word in English? Like when you say something racist, like you, Donald Trump, oh God, my brain feels so, I need more caffeine. It's like Donald Trump doesn't use the N word, but he uses these like adjacent concepts in a way where you know what he's talking about. And it's a dog whistle kind of deal. It's a little bit of a dog whistle to the racists. But then in this, at the same time, so then you can be like, well, that's been a concept in America since 2000 fucking whatever. It's 2001. I don't know. Forever. But then at the same time, the next word is ikigai, which means an experience of your uh, life being meaningful, which is like, okay, well, that's cool. Do people use that word? I mean, they do. Kanjeman. This is a good one. This is me. Uh, I would directly translate it as a maybe man. It's a it's a man who doesn't want to get fully engaged in a relationship. Klyfi, uh, artsy art art genre that um, treats climate questions. Klyfi, like sci-fi, but climate climate sci-fi. Klyfi. That's a good one. Ghost kitchen. Ghost kitchen is the Swedish word for spökkök. Spökkök, which I would translate as ghost kitchen, is the how Swedes say a pop up, like you use the kitchen of of another restaurant and do a pop up. Aquafaba. Aquafaba. Oh wow! How do we explain this concept? So, it's when you use the water from like uh, chickpeas. In your cooking instead of egg whites. Gross. Uh, so gross. Blurange. Um, when your hair is a mixture of blonde and orange. Blurange. It's, it makes sense for us to have, because everyone in Sweden is hella blonde and hella ginger. And then there's a lot of people who try to go blonder and it, it ends up kind of orange. I have had some very orange hair in my day. Oh, okay, so that was a segment. I never do segments like that where I do a segment on the pod supported by props. That was an experiment. I'll never do that again. That that didn't feel very good. That didn't feel very good. What else is going on? I um read someone on someone on the internet on an Instagram post was like, oh, I'm too embarrassed to even say this. Someone on the internet, I read this post where this person was like, we influence people who pretend not to see us. 
uh, it's something this black lady said on Instagram, and I thought about it a, and a lot, and was like, I made me wonder if I wonder if I have people who dislike me who listen to the podcast as an act of exercising their feeling of disliking me. Like, do I have people who full on hate listen to this? Because I think, <laughs> I think it's actually, I think the podcast could be ample material for someone to hate listen to it because I think it is something where for every thing I say, you could listen to it and just be like, wow, more of that stupid shit, huh? Yeah. Does that make me feel good? Maybe that makes me feel a little bit good. That people that dislike me waste their time. But mostly it makes me feel bad. Because I need everyone to like me. Mostly it makes me feel bad, let's be honest. But everything makes me feel bad. So that's fine. Cli-Fi especially. <clears throat> You're really gonna make me vote for Joe Biden. Such a good beat. Let's review the third water. So, lemon, third lemon. This The brand is Drink Simple Sparkling Maple Water Cucumber Lemon. I do hate cucumber in water, so here we go. Let's smell it. Let's, because last one, I took the first sip and I wasn't present for it. Now I'm going to be present. Jesus Christ, that's a strong smell of cucumber. Wow. Absolutely no maple. Absolutely no lemon. Just powerful cucumber peel. Oh, I couldn't even take a full sip. It was so gross immediately. Oh, that makes me... It's like it hit the beginning of my palate and immediately was counteracted by a a powerful gag force coming the other way, and it's just like, whoops, okay, this is going to be a small sip, turns out. Okay, so that's a, that, that's a negative three. Oh, it's making me gag so... Yeah, I can't... I cannot, I cannot play with that on, on a goat, and I cannot play with that on a moat, like that American football coach said once on a, in an inspirational YouTube video. Yeah. Okay, here's a different topic. Let's not talk about Sweden anymore. I'm going to take my glasses off for this. So, I've always thought a lot about, um, probably because I wanted to write books and stuff, I've, I've always thought a lot about narratives and storytelling and, like, storytelling technique. And so when I watch a movie or something... I do enjoy just sort of like picking it apart and thinking about how they did stuff. And because of that, I've always had a harder time liking TV shows because TV shows have this thing where they don't, they, they're, it's structured so that there isn't supposed to be an ending. And you kind of need an ending to really analyze the whole thing. To analyze it in terms of an arc, a rise and a fall. Like, there is a conflict in the plot. 
the conflict is presented like this. Is the conflict presented in a concise way that immediately makes you interested? Is the conflict, is the tension of the conflict maintained so that you stay interested and you, you feel emotionally involved? And then is the conflict resolved in a way where like there's a pleasant emotional payoff where a little bit of a tear forms in the corner of your eye? You know, like that's the sort of like how I would think about any story. And then in TV, you never get to that last part because the whole thing is set up to be infinite. Now, TV is not all bad, but I struggle with TV because with TV more than with movies, it just feels like capitalism is allowed to decide Capitalism is allowed to, like, you'll have a story. You'll have something like the, the television show Lost, which is, you know, you watch the first, second, third episode. Everyone on Earth watches it at the same time. It turns into this enormous, like, zeitgeist, um, mom like, the singular pop culture event. Everyone is transfixed. Everyone's watching it. The first season has this incredible arc. And then... Capitalism is allowed to just come in and be like, but what if we just kept going with this and we could keep making money on this show? And then they don't resolve it. Like, I feel like that was a show where you start watching it and it was written like it could have been resolved real quick. And then capitalism is allowed to fuck it up. And then look, TV isn't all bad because you can still have it be about characters and you can still have moments throughout that have like this powerful sense of emotional payoff and you can you can have these incredible scenes and you can have this incredible stuff going on. But really, and especially with comedies, like if the point is the jokes, fine, whatever, do 10 seasons. If you can keep it funny and keep it and do 10 seasons, fine. Like it's fine. Like 30 Rock, I love 30 Rock and Arrested Development and all these different shows that are funny. But it's like, I've always really struggled with when it's about the characters because, and I've said this a thousand times on the podcast, but like character driven is really just a euphemism for you watch it and the characters become your friends and it's really just becoming a substitute for you having actual friends and if you watch a lot of character driven shit you're probably lonely as fuck and you should probably not watch tv so fucking much and you should probably turn the tv off and go out and make some actual friends you know and then we can be judgy about sad people that hang out in bars all night but at least they get out there and like do actual interaction with fucking people, you know? Because when I was a kid, I remember being in, like I was 10 years old and I watched the television show Friends and I just, that I think I, I, I probably chose to have fewer friends because I watched that show and it like satisfied me. Anyway, um, there's something about time, time here, because an hour of, in some sense, an hour of your life is always an hour of your life or like two hours of your life. And if you choose to spend those two hours of your life watching a movie or watching a television show, like everything is equal, 
God, I'm not being, I'm not making a lot of sense. But the point is that like every two hours of your life is like an opportunity to spend something, to do something interesting. And a movie can be a really succinct, concise, interesting way to have a world presented to you in the first 10 minutes and have a conflict presented to you and you it's a totally new thing that you had no idea about and then it's this rise and fall over two hours and then at the end it's all resolved and then you walk out of it and it's like this incredible two hours of escapism whereas television is like you watch fucking three seasons of something do you understand how much time you just sunk into that do you understand how many movies you could watch? Maybe you're just fucking... If you're watching three seasons or something, maybe you're just lonely, bro. <clears throat> so, recently I've, I've started watching... I've started playing um, video games. And I keep uh, talking about video games on the podcast. And, and this is another angle of it. Where it's like, I feel this uncomfortable... I mean, I, it's very uncomfortable for me to, to the idea that I would start playing one of these games that's like infinite. Because people that play these games that you just play on the internet, bro, people play those games a lot. And here's what made me think of this. One of the originators of this thing in my life that I play video games is that I... I got sober in Seattle and I would go to all these AA meetings in Seattle and I got a sponsor and she was good. And then I got a second sponsor and he was made a big impression on me and I learned a lot from him and he was my sponsor for a long time and we still stay in touch and he frequently talked about video games and I, I could just tell that video games was for him a very healthy substitute to drugs and alcohol. Because if he could stay completely sober and have a job and do well at his job and have a marriage and his wife is successful at her job and he has a good marriage and he has kids and he has a lot of anger and he has a lot of problems, but he works on all of it and he faces his emotions and he talks through it in the AA meetings and he's like a good person. Like he's a teacher at a school. He does a good job with kids, with sixth graders. And he could be like a violent, destructive alcoholic, but he's a good person. And one of his forms of escapism is, is video games. And him and many people, he, he especially brought me to this specific meeting that he introduced me to that was a little bit away from where I lived and stuff. But it was a men's meeting and, and it was a meeting that was a lot of people and they were all they'd all landed with sort of the same answers. They had all had the same problems and they had, like, because not everyone in AA has the same problem and not everyone has the same answer. But this was a group of men that had sort of the same anxiety problems and anger problems and they all sort of landed in the same sort of like, you know, you got to get a fucking mountain bike, you got to get a bike, you got to exercise, you got to play video games, you got to find calm. You got to find a woman. Like these are the, this was the atmosphere there. And so from them, I took this thing that, okay, so video games can be okay. And so 
I got this expensive computer this year, and 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 I'm on this Steam is the big platform where you download video games, and so I'm on Steam, and then I'm texting with him, and I was talking about video games, and I was like, what video game should I play in? And I got my first, he was like, okay, so what's your email? I'm going to add you on Steam. We're going to be friends on Steam. So he, my old sponsor is my first friend on Steam, okay? And so I get a friend request. I accept the friend request. I click on his profile, and then you go to his profile. And on the profiles on Steam, you can see data about the person. You can see what games they have and how much they play the games and the most recent game they've played and so forth. And so I go on his profile and the most recent game he's played is called, it's called Inscription. It's a game I actually bought. I've never played it. People say it was great. I bought it. I never got around to playing it. The most recent game he's played is Inscription. And then under that, under that line, it says, Hours played, 810. 810. And then a few days later, I check and it says 830. Now, every two hours of your life is an opportunity to do something new. To watch, like, do you understand how many movies you could watch in that amount of time? Like, maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. Maybe I'm thinking about it like this problematic idea of like, every day you should be doing a million trillion different things. You should be meditating every day and you should be reading your AA literature every day and you should go to an AA meeting every day and you should learn Spanish every day and you should learn a programming language every day and you should go to work every day and you should like read a book for pleasure every day. And you should like go see your friends every day. And it's like this incredibly unrealistic. Like I believe those things. I believe I should be doing all those things every day. And I don't. And the result is pain. Dis- disappointment. The result is that I'm really hard on myself for failing to do all those things every day. Oh, it's 420 right now. <clears throat> so on the one hand, I have this like annoying, pretentious, renaissance man expectation on myself that I should be reading classical literature and and exercising every day. And then on the other hand, some guy is out there and has played 800 hours of inscription. Kavika at work, I mentioned inscription to him and he's like, yeah, I love that game. I played it so much. And then, um, the next week, he was like, have you played Inscription yet? And I, I still haven't played it. So I was like, nah. And he's like, I play so much. I, I love it. And then I was playing Elden Ring. And he was like, yeah, I played. He, like, I don't know. It seemed like three days after Elden Ring came out. And it could be, I was like, I played it 100 hours. It's like, how have you played it 100 hours? It's been out three days, bro. How have you played it 100 hours? And then now I'm playing Death Stranding. And I asked Kavika if he'd played it. And he's like, yep, I played it 400 hours. It's like, bro, how do people have, how do people not get stressed out by the feeling of wasting time playing video games that much? I just, bro, I'm out here looking for a, a sense of calm and I'm struggling to find it. That's all I got to say. I don't, I, I'm, uh, 
So I'm playing this game, Death Stranding, and I talked about it like last week and the week before, and it's a beautiful game, and it's really cool. And it has this incredible story, and it's like you have this like unborn fetus strapped to your belly, and because fetuses are were just born, so they're more connected to the other side, and because of that, they can communicate with ghosts better, and and blah blah blah, and it's got all the spooky Japanese shit going on, and the plot is like really complicated and poetic and beautiful, and and it's got this incredible cinematic quality to it, where like you just you're just running over these like big beautiful fields and right at the moment when it's about to get boring the silence like you run for minute after minute and then suddenly the silence is broken by just like weird poetic sad indie music where people are suddenly singing and it's like it has these incredible cinematic elements but now i've played it 40 hours and i'm starting to feel like well i've played it now like, I don't, I'm bored now. But then there's this problem of, there's more to the story. So I do want to know what, how the story wraps up. But to to get to the story parts, I have to do the stuff between these cutscenes. And the stuff between the cutscenes is just more of the fucking same game. I don't know. I wish I could just relax and enjoy stuff. How is it that I don't, how is it that there's no form of entertainment that, I don't know, I have this weird attitude towards time and entertainment and not wasting time and stuff, but then at the same time, with music, I don't know, if someone gave me a number for how much time I spent listening to music made by the three members of the band Boy Genius, I'm talking about Julian Baker and Lucy Dacus and Phoebe Bridgers, like, It's probably 800 hours. Could I have spent that time doing something else? I don't even know because I think I choose to listen to music when I'm freaking out. Hmm. I'm also fascinated by people who rewatch movies because it's like there's something there, you know? Like what, what is the... What is the feeling in your heart when you choose to rewatch a movie? And what is the feeling you want? Is it that you're panicking and you want a sense of familiarity and and, uh, safety? Or is it just that you don't worry about it too much and it just sounds fun? I think I have way too much of a... I I approach everything with a sense of panic and stress. It's almost like I should reset my expectations by rewatching the same movie every day for a year or something, and then I'll come out of it and be like, okay, I'm I'm not ready to be in between, to to be normal, to sometimes rewatch a movie, and sometimes watch a new movie. And sometimes watch a TV show where I'm really just become, feel like I become friends with the characters and I just watch them and they're a form of friendship and, and I feel good about it. And I don't know, bro. Hmm. Yeah. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. 
And when I run out of answers, that's the end of the episode. So thank you for listening. <laughs>